Let us pray. Almighty God, as we reflect on your word, God, may you enter our hearts and our minds to be more like you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God's promise of guidance. We're going to be talking a little bit about the saltiness this morning. And one of my prayers has always been, God, may you guide my steps. Especially in life when difficult situations come about, when I don't know what tomorrow holds, which none of us do, I ask for God to guide my steps. And my congregations I've always served has always prayed to me, God, may you guide our pastor's steps. And, and I really do appreciate that because it's God who has sent me here. It's God who guides us all this morning. This morning we're going to talk a little bit about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. So raise your hand if you know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is. There's a few of you this morning. Okay, so we got a basis. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a famous theologian. He was a Lutheran, and he was murdered by the Nazis at 39 years old. Murdered, hung. Hitler believed inside of himself that he was promoting Christianity by killing the Jewish people. Now, a few years ago when I went to Israel, we went to the Holocaust Museum, and we got to see how Christians got behind Hitler, that they chose not to speak up. See, Hitler uh, killed Christian pastors. He removed them from their pulpits, and he replaced them with Nazi pastors. He rewrote the Ten Commandments, replaced the cross with the swastika. He rewrote the Bible and, again, installed his own Aryan people. But Bonhoeffer, a young pastor and theologian, opposed Hitler for what was right and what Jesus was telling him and put on his heart. Again, 39 years old. You know, Bonhoeffer... Uh, is used in all of our seminaries in the United Methodist Church as the founder of Christian ethics. And we are required to study Bonhoeffer and what it means for us today as Christians. So like every other job field, there's ethics that take place. And as pastors, as churches, we too have those. See, Bonhoeffer wrote this. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring, requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. And grace without Jesus Christ. For Bonhoeffer, this was being hung by the hands of Nazis for confronting the evil in his time when almost no one would take a stand. He said, one of my slides isn't there. Bonhoeffer said, silence in the face of evil is evil itself. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. In the scripture this morning, Matthew 16, 24 to 26, and it says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, All who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, 
and follow me. And all who want to save their lives will lose them. But all who lose their lives because of me will find them. And why would people gain the whole world but lose their lives? And what will people give in exchange for their lives? There it is. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. So church family, what is God telling you to speak and say in the midst of evil we face today? For there is so much we can stand together against. Is God telling you to sit back and take it easy? Or to fight against the evil and oppression that we have today? Again, not all of us can be Bonhoeffer. But we must carry our cross. See, it says here, we must take up our cross. You know, so many times I have struggled and said, why God me? Has anybody ever asked God why? I can't, I'm glad I'm not the only one. Maybe I'm just disobedient sometimes. And I say, God, why? Why can't we just have an easy road, easy path? And every time I, I, I seek for help and, and I seek spiritual guidance from people much wiser than me, and they always say, that's your cross. And it can come across as one of those cliches and, and irritations to me. Take up your cross. But it's the truth of the gospel. Jesus says we must take up our cross this morning. Even when it's not, it's not going to be easy. Right? And sometimes we need help. Just like Jesus needed help to carry his cross. We must be there as Christ's body together. See, we must ask ourselves, are we living in the cheap grace that Bonhoeffer was speaking about? Are we living in costly grace? Are we living radically for Christ and following God's word? Are we being disciples that Jesus has called each of us to be? See, in these beginning passages, verses 13 through 16, he says, we are the salt of the earth. We are the salt of the earth. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I don't put, we don't put salt in our food, it doesn't taste very good. Now, maybe that's just because of where we're from. We have to put salt on everything. But it doesn't taste good. So, here we are in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. We're going to reiterate here. You are the salt of the earth. But if that salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? impossible. It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, a city on top of the hill that can't be hidden. And neither do people light a lamp and put it under the basket. Instead, they put it on top of the lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. Continuing the story of Bonhoeffer, we hear of a young man, a theologian, who exemplified the words of Jesus to be a light to the world. Everything was against him. If we like to admit it, during World War II and the Holocaust, Christians, including the U.S. and Rome, hoped to ignore what Hitler was doing 
and the horrors and offenses towards Jews, Christians, and the marginalized. It wasn't just Jewish people that suffered Hitler's wrath. He killed and murdered innocent people. It was not until Japan was hit, or Japan hit us at Pearl Harbor, that we truly showed an interest. However, Christians around the globe were gathering to fight the ill offenses towards God and his people. Christians were smuggling Jews, Polish families, Catholics, and the list goes on, into their homes at the risk of being killed themselves. Now, the only thing we can maybe parallel with that in the U.S. is during uh, slavery, when Christians would gather around this country smuggling African Americans to escape slavery. They were smuggling these families. And with all Christians believing that all people are made in the image of God and that each person has sacred worth as his children, I wonder why the delay of the masses in doing anything. Let me tell you, when I went to that Holocaust Museum in Israel, I was pretty disgusted at the fact that we stood by. And it's easy for me to judge, right? I wasn't there. I don't know the full circumstances, but I would have liked to think that the churches, the Pope in particular of that time, would have stood up and said, this is wrong. But it took us getting hit on U.S. soil to finally get involved. Now, so what I'm proposing here is radical. Sometimes in life we are given challenging circumstances where we must choose a stance. It's our dearest challenge from Almighty God to choose to be salt to the world and the light on the hill. Or we choose to be good for nothing. Let's go back to that verse 13 here. It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. Let me tell you, I don't want to be considered good for nothing by God, my Father. We must be willing not only to take a stance, but be willing to suffer the consequences, which Bonhoeffer did. To be hung by people that were persecuting Christians. We must be willing to fight evil oppression and ungodly leaders who not only promote chaos, but Satan in this world. And if we're unwilling, we must be willing to live with the eternal consequences that Jesus tells us in these first three verses. So we have to ask ourselves, where is God calling us to take a moral and humane stance in the world? Is it to the poor, the oppressed, or something else? Last night we we talked about taking a stand for the hungry. The innocent families that go to bed with no food on their tables. Christians are gathering to support the body of Christ. How is God calling you to live your life fully for him? And how is God calling you today? Now, I'm going to remind everybody, when I go through these passages every week, uh, it comes from the lectionary. We, we preach and teach with churches around the world. Uh, and sometimes they're very difficult passages. Especially for me, the gospel lessons are the easiest. Often are filled with love and joy and kindness. But when we get to the Old Testament, when we get to uh, the Psalms, sometimes those are are really difficult. So we continue in Matthew 5, 17 through 18, 
And we really get this understanding of what I grew up, what I now understand as law and gospel. So 17 and 18 says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. And I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. Now, I've been around the theological family now at this point, and I'll never forget when I first entered ministry, my candidacy mentors, uh, Jeff Connor was his name. He's a United Methodist pastor in Metairie, Louisiana. And he says, he warned me. He says, if you go around all these different groups, you're never going to know what you believe. And he probably has some truth and validity to saying that to me. Uh, because I have been around, and I've been exposed to different theology. And uh, up until about three years ago, I, I really focused on the gospel lessons of Jesus. And I really focused on you know, that mercy and love and forgiveness of Christ. But in the next verses, it brings us back to Bonhoeffer's understanding of cheap grace. If we only ever focus on the gospel of Jesus, we fail to acknowledge the cross of Christ. See, Christ died for a reason this morning. We're here for a reason. We have love and joy because of Jesus, because he died on the cross to save sinners. We fail to acknowledge our need for Jesus to be nailed on the cross if, if we don't focus on the old, we don't look at the Old Testament. Jesus tells us in these passages in Matthew that just because he died on the cross, it doesn't give us this free pass to life. He instead tells us that we are st these laws are still in effect until the earth disappears. Which means for us this morning that indeed we should strive to do our best to live within the law of God. Knowing that we cannot save ourselves, nor will the law save us. But we should look through the Old Testament, not as a dated, not culturally relevant, not as important as the New Testament, but an equal part of God's word. We will hear God on our judgment days and how we love Jesus, how we love God, and yes, how we did obeying the law from Moses and the prophets. So we have to ask ourselves, where are we messing up the most personally? How do we focus our lives not to save ourselves, but to love God, love people, and not to live within this cheap grace that Bonhoeffer describes? Bonhoeffer says, salvation, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. Salvation is free, discipleship will cost you your life. To live knowing that without the cross, which includes the pain and suffering of Jesus, that we would not have eternal life, and we would not be able to have a life filled with joy. The cross of Jesus was not cheap. And neither should our commitment to Christ be cheap. See, in our next verses here, it almost seems to be contradicting Paul's works. I mean, 19 and 20, he says, Therefore, whoever ignores one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called the lowest in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps these commands and teaches people to keep them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And I say to you that unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
So like we hear all these passages from the Apostle Paul that tells us, you know, that, that the law is not going to save us, to, to not focus on it. Uh, praise God for some of it, right? Because I like to eat, and a lot of things you can't eat in the Old Testament, right? I love to have a cheeseburger. I can't have a cheeseburger. I can't have any toppings on my pizza that I really enjoy. And, and God says all food is okay at this point. But he also said he came to fulfill it. They hit us hard. And Jesus bluntly tells us, I say to you that unless your righteousness is greater than the righteousness of the legal experts and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I am assuming that all the Pharisees and all the legal experts of Jesus' time were not all bad people. Some of them probably just ignored and went with the flow of everyone else. So they didn't speak up when Jesus was being tried and murdered and and we know the end of the story. But Jesus says that we must be more righteous than them. Now isn't that difficult for us this morning? That we should be striving for righteousness? Now, Wesleyan theology, because I really love theology, it says that we are striving for entire sanctification. That is part of our dogma as a church. You go in the book Discipline and you go to the very beginning and it has all the theology of our church and what it says is that we have the opportunity as Christians on earth to be perfected in the love of Christ. That our desire to sin leaves us. And so how do we do that? Well, we strive for righteousness. We, we don't Again, have one attitude at church, one attitude in the community, and another at home. It's, it's all one person. Christ is calling us to strive for righteousness. So I want to think about this real quick. So we talked about cheaply grace. So I kind of rewrote Bonhoeffer's statement of what cheaply grace is. So that we at FUMC Chiefland preach the forgiveness of God with requiring repentance. We have to go to repentance. That's why we did a, a confession this morning. And I know uh, some churches are, are getting away and we want to be more modern. And I get that. But I also see the necessity to go before the Lord and to confess our sins. That we have baptism with church discipline. So just because you're baptized doesn't mean you stop growing. That we have communion with confession. If you go before the altar... You should come with a repentant heart. You should want to confess your sins to God. Uh, it's very important. There's a passage in there that says, you know, you can't take of the Lord's table and the Lord of the devil too. You have to, you have to confess. That We have absolution with personal confession. And that's so hard. Isn't it hard to think through your week or your day and say, oh my goodness, what sins have I committed today? And what ones do I need to confess to Jesus about? And some of you are on a higher level of that process of sanctification than me. And maybe you only had one sin that week. Right? <laughs> but some of us have multiple sins that week. And we need to go before Jesus and, and admit that we're messed up. That we unhold, we uphold costly grace with discipleship, the cross, and Jesus Christ. Now, I'm taking a class on catechesis right now, 
And um, I didn't go through a catechism growing up. But you know what it really is? It's how to disciple the baptized people of your church. Simply. How do you disciple them? I have to look at everything that we are doing as a church and say, how are we discipling the people? So let's think about it. I know we have a Sunday school class, right, that meets in the fellowship hall. Let's build on that. Let's have more people, more classes. People need the word of God. We have a coffee and conversations group that meets. That's discipleship. Uh, We have a youth group that meets. They read the Bible. They study the Bible. That's discipleship. What other things do we have going on that is promoting discipleship? Sunshine Disciples studies the word of God. So how are we discipling our congregation? Now, I would hope that every single person in here this morning, at some point in the week, is getting some type of discipleship. Because Sunday morning is really the proclamation of the word. It is not a time of discipleship. In essence, that is done in small groups. And that was the foundation of Methodism, was the small groups. And so I encourage that. So let's, let's do that. Let's talk about costly grace. We begin personally and as a church to continue to take one more bite of that elephant that we talked about last week. Doing our best to improve our faithfulness to God, even with personal cost. And even when it makes us personally uncomfortable. And it calls us to full repentance. So right now, brothers and sisters, again, I'm personally struggling with some of this. I, too, know that true faithfulness sometimes has consequences. And the world will hate me for it. Now, why will I know the world hates me for it? Because it tells us in the Bible. Tells us right here in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it hated me first. Now, if they hated Jesus, they hated the prophets. Every one of them were basically murdered. All the disciples, all of our examples from the Bible are people that the world just didn't like. But, you know, we, we, we want the world to like us. I like to be liked. Who doesn't like to be liked? You know? So as a, as a Methodist pastor, you, you have to go through this thing called a psychological exam, right? And they want to see if you're crazy. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> they, they ask you things like, you know, do you hear voices? Do you, uh, you want to hurt yourself? Do you want to hurt people? You know? And one of the things that came up in my psychological was that I like people to like me. But you know what the psychiatrist said? He says, you're like every other pastor. You're like every other pastor. And, uh, there's something online that says, if you want people to like you, you should have sold ice cream. You know? <laughs> so, church family. I-, I pray that even if the world hates us for preaching the word of God, oh my goodness, could you imagine? That Jesus will tell us this one day. Well done. You are a good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little, and I'll put you in charge of much. Come celebrate with me. So, dear church family, I hope we strive for righteousness. We strive for entire sanctification. We strive because we love Jesus. Not because we're trying to be perfect. Not because we're trying to earn our way to heaven, because I'm I'm never going to do that. But, 
I should strive I, I, to be like Christ. We close this morning in simplicity. Be faithful to God. Faith is more than a church. It's about choosing costly grace. It's about living a life for Jesus and suffering for him. It's about embracing the consequences of carrying our cross. Now hear this. Don't do stupid stuff. Right? Like I told my students. Don't do stupid stuff. God did give us a brain to use. and We should use them. Um, but God tells us we're going to suffer. Right? But when God calls on our hearts to believe in him, it's costly. And it's a lifelong decision to enter in communion at his table. He's called us to take a stand for the least of these every day. There are the least of these within our own community. He calls us to stand for those who have no voice and those who are persecuted for his sake. Did you guys see on the news it was like 35 Christians were killed yesterday? Yeah. Uh, continue to pray for those dear people. He's called us to be faithful to his creation and upholding it accountable to his word and helping to wreck the ship when necessary. This whole ridiculousness about separation of church and state. No, that, God tells us to have an impact in the state, in the world. That God's word is primary. So that's what it is. That's the word of God. That's first. We are to have an impact in the world. We are called to bring sinners to a forgiving God so that all sinners may know and embrace God's love, forgiveness, and mercy. So, we have to go forth in repentance, acknowledging our faults, and to let go and to, to trust in the one true God, to guide our steps as a faith community, as a church, and us personally. So I challenge you this week, if you're wondering, like me, why God, ask God to guide your steps. And he may tell you something you don't want to hear. He may open a door you don't want to open. He may close a door that you don't want to be closed. But guess what? God's in it. So step forward. Step forth with the love of God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for the fathers of the faith like Bonhoeffer, who was killed for standing for the truth of God. We thank you for our persecuted brothers and sisters who are doing the same right now all around the world. We thank you for giving us our church that we can proclaim the good news. God, we, we admit we're messed up sometimes. But God, you love us anyways. Like a loving father loves their children. God, help us, guide us, and make us be obedient. Make us follow your word and your steps for our lives. Help us stand up for the least of these those with no voice, those who, who need to be heard. And God, we, we ask for your forgiveness on our brothers and sisters back in World War II that God didn't stand for you. 
God, we love you. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. Our closing hymn today will be.